Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. This is show number 32. My name is Simon Head, and joining me as always is Mr. Chimakar Sandy. And this is a bit of a special this week because we're going to look back on an event that is particularly relevant to us Brits. UFC Fight Night 107, better known in this part of the world as UFC London, took place on Saturday night at the O2 Arena right here in London, England. And a lot of people were crapping on this card before the actual event started. And uh, surprise, surprise, it actually delivered. Jimmy Manoa, superb performance in the main event. Gunnar Nelson showing why everybody on this side of the pond absolutely loves him. We bid farewell to Brad One Punch Pickett and a couple of other young British stars, Arnold Allen, Leon Edwards and Mark Diacasey, all picked up very important wins as they look to push their career forward. Amazing stuff, Sandu. We were working shoulder to shoulder as part of Team Junkie, Team MMA Junkie, throughout the week. And uh, plenty to unpack on this week's show. Yeah, there certainly is. Uh, we were there covering the event from Wednesday. On Wednesday, um, Junkie had this kind of deal. Um, it's quite a rare deal. It's a deal that's normally only reserved for broadcast partners. And that's to get access to um, a large chunk of the main card fighters and even those perhaps scattered on the uh, the undercard a day before uh, the rest of the media. Um, so we had the opportunity, both you and I, to sit down with a bunch of fighters one-on-one on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, we had the, the, the official media day. Friday, we had the, the weigh-ins, the ceremonial weigh-ins with guest fighters. Friday night, we had an impromptu... Uh, fire alarm go off due to a real fire in the fighters hotel where everybody was evacuated uh, and i'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later on and then of course on saturday night uh we had a, a packed o2 arena with over 15,000 fans in attendance um to to see jimmy manua right at the top of the bill london's very own the poster boy get it done big time with big style points um, so yeah, absolutely, so much to talk about, and I'm really looking forward to it this week. Let's let's do this in some sort of chronological order, if we can. We sat down on on the Wednesday at the Fighter Hotel. First of all, to give you an idea of the setup that we had in Fight Week, uh, John Morgan, who is the uh, the uh, the big dog at MMA Junkie, he goes to more events than most of the UFC staff. Um, he came over to the UK. Actually, came over a day early. Um, because of because uh, of some flight issues, he had to take an earlier flight. But he managed to secure a, an Airbnb apartment where myself, uh, John, and uh, our buddy Abby Saban were were all staying. You had to kind of juggle fight week with your day job, yep. which was a bit of a a bit of a challenge. But you managed to get it done. And, Absolutely. Uh, and uh, so, but our, our our home base, if you like, was was this apartment. And it couldn't have been better located. We were effectively in the building next to the hotel, uh, right there on Canary Wharf. And uh, that proved quite useful as the week progressed, as we will mention in a minute. But we'd just pop over to the uh, the fighter hotel, the Hilton Canary Wharf. Very nice it is too. And uh, the media room wasn't all, all, all that, to be honest. It wasn't, it, wasn't the most, uh, it wasn't the most conducive to what we were looking to do. Uh, Vicky, who looks after the media for the UFC very helpfully uh, gave us free use of the of the uh, of the boardroom uh, we had a huge huge boardroom table uh, and uh, all the room we needed to conduct all these one-on-one interviews 
Um, and uh, one of the big takeaways I had from that day, Sandy, was I think the first interview you did, Corey Anderson. I've got to admit, I didn't didn't expect the interview to be anything that would be absolutely mind blowing or anything like that. I just thought it would be your standard run of the mill pre fight interview. But I I came I sort of came away after listening to that interview just super impressed with the guy, and even more so after fight night on Saturday night. But but he's he he's a real character and and someone to re, you know really keep an eye on and anybody out there who is in the the UK MMA media I know you know we do get occasionally people listen to us who who are, who are colleagues of ours if you get a chance to talk to Corey again definitely sit down with him because he's he's a great interview isn't he he really is and again I think this is one of those things where when you get the chance to speak to um, any fighter a day before the rest of the media they haven't been bombarded with the same question over and over and over again. Um, and so Corey's, you know, he just got to town a day or two um, earlier. Um, and so he hadn't really a chance to kind of like really settle in and see much of London. Uh, he was all business at that point, uh, but he was fired up uh, and I loved it. Like you said, we were all in the same room. He gave us some fantastic sound bites. Um, he was coming in with a lot of confidence. Um, one of the main kind of storylines and narratives that I didn't think the UFC played out promotionally was the idea of Jimmy Manuel having already had an opportunity to main event in the O2 arena. How you know it didn't go his way against Alexander Gustafsson. That wasn't really pushed to the fore, um, and I think that's a big storyline, especially because now he got the big payoff with that storyline behind it. And at the time when we spoke to him or when I interviewed him, Corey was of the same kind of mindset. He was like, you're absolutely right. This should be playing on Jimmy's mind. You know, I'm sure he's going to be very, you know, worried when he walks out, when his friends and family and fans are all there because he's been in the spotlight before and he's failed. So he was giving us some great sound bites. Uh, and just in general, I think he was being really realistic about where he is right now. You know, he is arguably uh, the youngest and most, I suppose, um, he doesn't have as much fight experience as the, as the rest of the top 10. So he's, he's quite fortunate to be in a position that he's in. And, um, and at the time, he's like, listen, I'm just trying to like put the work in. He's only been uh, in the UFC for a couple of years, only fighting professional MMA, I think, three or four years. So, um, so yeah, I, I was, it was like a refreshing, uh, refreshing to see someone like Corey Anderson, an American, come over here um, you know, in hostile territory and kind of have that air of swagger about him. You said he, he gave some decent sound bites. You dropped a decent one yourself in that interview. I remember he was saying um, he's been working his socks off in the gym, in there 24-7, and quick as a flash, you were straight onto it. You went, well, 24-7 is not enough. It's got to be 25-8, right? And he had a bit of a laugh about that. He took it really well. And, uh, yeah, it's funny. I asked that's, him about, that's when you know you spend too much time with Simon Head, where you can be quick off the trigger like that. There you go. There you go. The Jedi Master, but uh, it was good fun, and and uh, I had a chance to quickly chat to him during the uh, during the media day, and uh, asked him about the nickname thing, and he he, he was uh, he was pretty funny about it. So uh, no, all all respect to Corey Anderson. Um, we'll talk about him again a little bit later in the show when we get to the actual main event. So yeah, we had some we had some had some good sit downs on the Wednesday. We talked to Corey Anderson. We talked to Brad Pickett. We talked to Brett Johns. We talked to Macwan Amirkani. At one point, I was drafted in to be some sort of family photographer. I had to take a picture of all of <laughs> all of Macwan's team. Um, just more and more people suddenly seemed to appear, and one, you know, I was there and I had to take a picture of them. 
But um, it was it was good fun. And then then the Thursday we had the media day for real, and uh, that's when the work really sort of kicked off. And to give you an idea of what a media day is like, you've got a big open room. They put the stools out, one for each fighter with the big name cards next to it. And uh, it's, it's done in two two halves, and they did the stare-downs in between. But before that, we had an announcement. Uh, Joe Carr, the uh, the man who is now heading up all of the, the UFC's international offices, uh, following the departure of uh, James Elliott, who was the last remaining uh, regional VP. So he's now taking over all of the regional offices. He got up on the stage to announce three European events coming up later this year. We are going back to Glasgow, Scotland, Sandu, which I'm very excited about. We are going back to Rotterdam, which I'm even more excited about. And we're also going to Gdansk in Poland, which I was very surprised about. Um, Three European shows to go along with the London show that we've just had and the show coming up in Stockholm. So that's five events in a year in Europe, which is sort of par for the course, really. I have a sneaky feeling we might get a sixth one towards the end of the year. I wouldn't be surprised if they go to Ireland or Northern Ireland before the end of the year. That's not because of any insider knowledge, so don't go out uh, booking any uh, holiday plans for the sort of back end of the year on the basis of this, but I just think it makes sense to do something in Ireland towards the back of the year. It makes sense to me, but we've got some good stuff coming uh, coming up. How do you see this all panning out? Uh, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it, Sandy? We've lost James Elliott, which, and we've spoken about it. I think we spoke about it on uh, the MMA Roadshow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a major, major loss. We actually uh, we managed to break that news. It came just after we recorded the show last week, and James actually texted me and apologised for the news coming out after we'd recorded the show, which is very nice of him. Um, but he did actually text say, I'm ever so sorry that we did this after the show. You could have talked about it, but. But uh, but here we are talking about it now. How how big of a loss do you think James is going to be uh, as 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 we move forward this year? Massive, um, and and here's why. Like I said, Simon, we spoke about it a little bit on uh, on the MMA Roadshow. When you lose a regional director or regional manager, sorry, of say the Brazilian office, it's Brazil. It's one language. One language. It's one set of relationships. What was what James was able to do, and what his role, um, you know, that was held by Dave Allen, and before Dave Allen held by Gary Cook, out of the London office. You're managing relationships with multiple markets here in Europe, multiple different relationships, um, different languages. Um, you know, sometimes relationships um, with different cultural and you know um, linguistic backgrounds takes time to mature. Right. And to have somebody on the ground here in London, here in Europe, to be able to kind of have these consistent meetings um, and to grow these relationships, you know, has been very important. One of the things that the, the schedule does tell me, and this goes back to kind of the philosophy that Gary Cook implemented way back when he was in charge. The idea was to go to major cities in Europe, but then to almost make sure you try and go back year upon year upon year to establish and grow those markets. So when I hear Glasgow, when I hear Stockholm, that's got to be at the 6th, 7th or 8th Stockholm event by now. When I hear uh, Rotterdam, right, again, you're just building upon the success from the previous year. Of course, London's always a staple. That's that's always a bit of a no-brainer with them having a London office. Um, But moving forward, um, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, James did such a great job, especially helping strike some of these um, TV deals in various markets, whether it be the Scandinavia, Hungary, 
um, you know, in Germany, you know, you, you name it. Not just the TV deals, but the media partnerships. Um, I know that, of course, WME, IMG. Oh, and here's the other thing. James used to work for IMG. How so, ironic is that? Yeah, exactly. So I was even more, you know, secure in my mind that him having that kind of, um, you know, you know, job on the resume, having worked with IMG, that that would have solidified his position even more because he's an IMG kind of guy, right? But then, of course, you've got, you know, Ari Emanuel and Patrick Whitesell. These guys, they know what they're doing when it comes to global TV deals and, and things of that nature. And uh, John told a story how the, Uf the UFC here were about to strike a deal um, with a particular network, um, the country or the region of the market doesn't come to mind. But Hungary, I think it was. There you go, Hungary. And um, and they basically said, wait, uh, don't let the ink uh, hit that paperwork just yet. We can double it, you know. So that's the kind of, you know, position of power and uh, kind of experience that they come in. But I just think generally it was just great to have James around, you know. Um, he, he got it. He, he understood, I suppose, what some of the European media um, that cover the sport go through. He knows that for the, for a lot of guys, it's not a full-time gig. They try and jump on as many opportunities as possible. So I'm sure he and the rest of the London team have always tried to um, be as flexible as they can be you know, for us. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's a blow. It is a blow. Um, and it's just one of those things where you know we've seen um, other familiar faces that were kind of on the European circuit quite a bit, like Eric Winter. Uh, now James Elliott, you know, um, move on. Um, but I think when you look back um, at his tenure, I mean, you mentioned it, Simon. Um, I think it was on Twitter you said he brought a massive, massive event uh, to London last year with Bisping, Anderson Silva, the best Christmas present. I mean, I, I know all these matches are made um, out of the, the Las Vegas office, but, you know, James and these regional um you know, managers are always trying to push to get the biggest fights in their market. Title fight, Bisping uh, versus Dan Henderson, Manchester, a challenging uh, thing to do, especially with the late night um, airing for, for, for the US market. That was quite a logistical problem. So there, he's got nothing, you know, but positivity um, from us in the media, I think. He's got a lot to be proud about in terms of what he was able to accomplish. And, you know, I think like he said on his Twitter feed, you know, he left as a fan of the sport, you know? Um, and like, even as um, late as uh, this fight week where, you know, he wasn't as visible throughout fight week um, as he has been um, at previous events. Um, but I heard him, you know, still, you know, uh, batting for the UFC, batting for the sport and, you know, mentioning better tour in regards to, you know, how much, the sport is growing specifically in Europe, um, so yeah, it's going to be a going to be a shame uh, not to see him um, on the on the on the normal MMA and UFC circuit moving forwards. But uh, tip of the cap to him; it's been great having him around. Absolutely, we wish him all the best for whatever for whatever he does next. I suspect that uh, I suspect that whatever he does, we we may well be hearing about it. So, uh, shall we speculate? I mean, I did bring it up on the roadshow a little bit. Um, and, and maybe you know our audience um, never got a chance to hear it, but um, one of the things that I speculated is Bellator are hiring a lot of ex-UFC staff, and they are also aggressively pushing into the European market. They're holding a hell of a lot of events. Who better to help perhaps lead um, that expansion in here in Europe 
than James Elliott whenever he's, I suppose, legally allowed to, um, you know, I suppose, communicate with him. If staying within the sport is still something that he wants to do. What are your thoughts on that side? Bellator and James Elliott, could that be a possibility? I'd like to think it is, but I, I, I somehow don't think it will be. Um, I think he might have other plans. Okay. Um, he's definitely a sport guy. I don't think we're going to see him out of the realm of sport. Um, he used to work for the Football Association. He used to be a football marketing executive for Puma and prior to that IMG. Um, he could go back to in, in, into the football sphere quite easily. He could go into some sort of representation uh, angle because his father was one of the big super agents in this country not that long ago. So um, maybe there's, there's, there's the chance to follow in his father's footsteps and carry on the family business. Who knows? Um, but I, I, certainly, I certainly expect that, that he'll be certainly heavily involved in, in the sports industry somewhere. Um, as, as, as an MMA writer and MMA journalist, I would love nothing more for him to, to still be part of our bubble uh, and if he became the the UK head of Bellator, I think uh, I think we would all be very very happy about that because he's a known entity at this point. We know him well. Um, we know the way. You know he's a straight shooter. He he deals with the media very well, um, and he's been a joy to deal with uh, during his tenure with the UFC. So, um, but it looks as if there's going to be a bit of a different direction from the UFC. It's important to note that James left of his own volition as well. This wasn't a leave-before-you're-pushed kind of situation. Um, He voluntarily offered up his resignation. So um, you would hope that that if he has his next move uh, planned, or, well, you would certainly hope that he does have his next move planned and that we find out soon what it it might be. Um, And uh, if I do find out and I'm in a position to let you guys know on the show, then I will. but he owes me a trip to the Isle of Man TT. He, <laughs> he, he, he promised me in Croatia, because we're both big, big motorcycle racing fans, right. uh, that uh, he would take me to the Isle of Man TT for, for, a, few, for a few beers. All right, there happened. you go. It hasn't happened yet, so I'm going to have to call that one in at some point before he completely disappears over the horizon. So James Elliott, if you're listening to this, I'm going to be getting on the phone very soon. But uh, yeah, moving on from that... The, you know the bigger picture with this, of course, is that the the whole landscape of uh, the UFC in Europe is changing. It's going to be centrally managed. Uh, there are IMG offices dotted around the world. It makes sense to move the current staff that are in Chiswick into the IMG office. Sorry, in Shoreditch to the IMG offices in Chiswick. It's going to be a pain in the ass for everybody because suspect, except for me and Abby, <laughs> except for you and Abby, who live around the corner. It's lovely for yes. you, but you know most of the people probably live quite nearby. So it's going to be a bit yeah. of a wrench, but fingers crossed that they don't they don't ship too many more staff. I know, uh, you know, they've got a very small, dedicated team who, in reality, have punched way above their weight in terms of the amount of people in that team and what they've been able to deliver over the last twelve to eighteen months. Uh, they don't get any credit for it because they're not people that people are, you know people beyond beyond that even smaller MMA media bubble would know anything about, but. You know they've done a phenomenal job, and I hope that I hope that their expect their their expertise is kept on as things start to progress in Europe. Um, that was the start of the media day. We had the announcement of the uh, of the three upcoming shows, uh, and then we went into media day. We went round. We spoke to all the different fighters. Um, got some good stuff out of all of them. My 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 highlight was watching Mark Diacasey telling a Finnish TV crew 
how he was going to knock knock their boy out in the first round, and uh, they just just basically winding up the uh, the Finnish TV crew who appeared not to have much of a sense of humour. They were just kind of standing there and taking it from him. But um, but yeah, it was a good it, it was a good packed busy day, uh, and uh, the Wayans got a bit lively on the Friday. Sander Dear Casey was front and centre in that, wasn't he? He was, um, and I think Sean Shelby must have had about three or four heart attacks um, <laughs> during during the the core, course of the the actual weigh-ins. So you had uh, Mark uh, Mark Diacasey just kind of like flicking um, Packland's hand away a couple of times. He was not interested in sh- you know in any handshake whatsoever. Then you had the two big men. You had Timothy Johnson and Daniel Omelenchuk uh, pretend to go at it. Um, and I almost kind of look back at Dave Scholler's expression when he was trying to part John Jones in DC and, and Sean Shelby had to kind of get involved and um, Ricky Mineta, Security Steve, they're all there. And then the two heavyweights start to kind of, you know, also two light heavy, well, yeah, two heavyweights sort of, you know, start to crack up. And then when you think it's all said and done, Ar- um, <laughs> Arnold Allen and Makwan Americani, probably the best of the bunch, they go at it. But they looked like they really went at it to start with. Like Arnold launched himself. Yeah, they kind of <laughs> chest bumped each other, um, and then you know, kind of told Sean Shelby we're only messing around, and he's got that look on his face like he's just had a bit of a mild aneurysm or a heart attack. <laughs> and um, so it was all good fun, though. It was all good fun. Um, the uh, the the Waynes. You know, were good. The, the guess, I think I thought the best part about the Waynes was the kind of like the guest fighters that they had available. Um, you know, you got some big names there: Francis and Garnu, obviously huge, huge prospect in the heavyweight division, and a huge really man making waves. As well. Huge man and a scary-looking man as well. Yeah. Um, you know, he's obviously from France. Um, Misha Tate, recently retired. Um, you know, former UFC bantamweight champion, and um, and then you had Mickey Gold there. And then you had Claudio Gadella. But I thought the real star of the actual guest fighter Q&A was Dan Hardy. Yep. Uh, Dan Dan Hardy had to deal... And, and actually, I've got nothing but the best things to say uh, about Dan um, throughout the entire weekend. But um, there were a couple of moments. One I'll get to a little bit later on. And you'll probably mention it yourself, Simon. But um, the one I'm going to mention for now is the way he handled um, a question um, from one of the fans and and there was no policing uh, the microphone section um in the in the in the in the crowd so it wasn't like one of those things where perhaps in vegas you'd have uh, a, somebody from the ufc um personnel allowing you to get a question in and then telling you to kind of go back to the line or go back to your seat or something so it was kind of like free reign and um one of the guys basically said what's up with this card bellator's bringing a better card etc etc and i thought dan handled it like a true professional really expertly he put the bellator main event over like you should rightly so yeah um you know he mentioned the main event paul daly versus rory mcdonald obviously paul daly um a former training partner and friend of his and then rightly so he did say and i agree and i think we can both agree that the ufc card is better because first of all you don't really have a bellator card to compare it against (laughs) Bellator haven't released the entire card, so how can you even compare the two? Um, and and even when that Bellator card is totally released, and we know what we're looking at, we know for a fact it's not going to be as good 
from top to bottom as a UFC card because the UFC have the lion's share of the best fighters in the world, right? So you can't just judge, you know, a card on one fight or a main event, right? So, and of course, Dan's standing there, the UFC employee. So what do you expect him to say, right? So I thought he, um, he, he kind of like, you know, balanced the tightrope, so to speak, very, yeah. very well in how he handled that response. By putting that main event over, like you, like you truly should, like you rightly should, um, as just an MMA fan first and foremost. But then, you know, putting that fan in its place with regards to not knocking um, the card that the UFC put together for London, which was, like Dan said, absolutely brimming, full of UK and European prospects, some of whom could be the next big stars in the sport. So, uh, tip of the hat to Dan Hardy for an absolutely fantastic job at the at the, at the guest Q and A. Yeah, couldn't agree more with that. I thought, um, yeah, I, the, it's difficult because it would have been very easy for him to have gone full-on corporate mode and have just shut it down completely or not even mention, you know, you know, the fact that this Bellator card, you know, well, well sorry, the main event is a good fight. But he spoke to the guy in, in, in a way that people can sort of look back at it and go, okay, he's been fair. He's not been blinkered. He's not been too much of a company man there. But, but he also did defend the UFC card, which I think was also part of, was also a job that he needed to do at that point. But yeah, no, I thought he did really well and I completely agree. We've got other stuff to say about Dan Hardy as, as, as we go along with this podcast. That was Wayne Day. Uh, Sean Shelby probably went and had a little quiet sit down and <laughs> I thought, right, I'm not going to let these bastards do that to me again. Um, but... <laughs> But yeah, that wasn't the end of the day on weighing day. We got back to the uh, we got back to the the uh, the MMA junkie pad, cracked open a few cold beers, finished off the edits that we were doing, had a slice of pizza. We're putting our feet up at the end of the day, just chilling out, thinking, okay, the bulk of the work is done now, gents. It's fight night tomorrow, um, and then we got a text from from our, our good friend. Who uh, goes by the uh, goes by the name of Fiasco Jones, um, a UFC staffer no less, and um, he informed us that the fire alarms were going at the fighter hotel. And actually, once we saw the text, we realised that we could hear the fire alarms going from from the balcony of our of our apartment, and uh, that people were being evacuated from the hotel. So we all had a bit of a a bit of a chuckle about the whole thing, and then thought. We need to get down there. So, like the A team, we sort of flung the doors of the apartment open, grabbed our gear, and, and uh, charged down there like some sort of Ron Burgundy-style news crew. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, we we had all angles covered. I was I was uh, doing live video, I think, on Twitter. Uh, you and Abby were shooting video that was going to later appear on the MMA Junkie site. I think John Morgan was getting some background information from some of the people involved. And uh, yeah, it was it was like being part of a, a, a proper breaking news crew for a minute there. But it was, I mean, for us, it was a hell of a lot of fun. It, for, for the fighters, it sure wouldn't have been particularly fun. Um, J- John Kavanagh was hilarious. If you haven't seen the video, by the way, go on to MMA Junkie and just scroll back, scroll down a little bit until you find the uh, until you find the story because. Uh, there's some absolute comedy gold in it, and like Mark Diacasey couldn't have given less shits about the whole thing. It was brilliant. 
John Kavanagh had just come back from a restaurant and I think may possibly have had a pre-show cocktail and uh, was, uh, was, 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 was hilarious. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it was, it was good fun. It was good fun. John Gooden was explaining uh, his situation. He was all ready to put his pipe and slippers on, I think, and uh, turn in for the night. And, but it was, it was, it was a crazy night. We had, uh, we had a lot of fun covering it, but uh, it clearly was a, caused a fair bit of upheaval. Um, the one person who wasn't affected by it apparently was Macwano Mekani because he wasn't wasn't even staying in the hotel. So, but it was a mad night, Sandy, wasn't it? It was. It was like one of the only moments um, that I felt like a breaking news story, camera crew, TMZ, CNN style. You're on the scene of the crime or the event, um, and we don't normally get to do stuff like that in this sport because all of the opportunities for the media are very much in a controlled, scheduled environment where you have an itinerary. Um, you know the location, you know the time, you know what you're going to get, you can plan for it. And even when stuff goes wrong, um, like a, a missed weigh-in or a John Jones failing a drug test, you're informed, but it's still a scheduled press conference that you can prepare for. This was us just reacting to a situation. Thankfully, um, the apartment that we were staying in at the time um, was right next door to the Fighters Hotel. So like you said, Simon, we can hear absolutely everything. I get that WhatsApp message from Fiasco Jones. And, um, and you know, like you said, Simon, we could hear the sirens. We could see the, the flashing blue lights. And it was fantastic. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. John Kavanagh was definitely under the influence. And, you know, I don't blame him. It was some, some Paddy's Day, for, God, for God's sake. And um, and it was it was absolutely fantastic. Some you know real you know quality quality lines coming out of Kavanaugh, and um, it was one of the most fun pieces of content. And actually, throughout the entire week, that was the most uh, um, fun I had working on any any content. And it was great because it was literally an entire team MMA junkie Europe produced piece where you had me and Abby uh, with the uh, on the scene video interviews. You were writing the actual report. We had Per from Stockholm um, taking some pictures. So I was really proud um, of that particular piece. And, and it got a lot of good feedback. It was, uh, and, and um, we were talking a little bit off air about this, Simon, but that was one of the, the rare pieces. Considering this is a UFC Fight Night London card on Fight Pass only, it's not on um, you know mainstream uh, t- TV in America or pay per view. And that particular piece ended up in MSN on the main USA Today uh, website, so it got lots of uh, lots of traction, um, got lots of attention. And uh, like I said in the piece, um, finally UFC Fight Night London was officially lit. <laughs> that 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 was the line. <laughs> that was the line. I loved it. <laughs> it was it was it was good fun. It was good fun. It's one of those I think. I think sometimes when you come away from a fight week as a journalist, and and they can blend in one into another sometimes, but quite often you can you can remember a fight week by an incident that happened. Or I mean, I'll always remember UFC two hundred was chaos anyway. But the moment when we were in the press conference and Dana White announced that the main event was now Brock Lesnar versus Mark Hunt, and everyone's looking at each other. And then Jeff Nowitzki walks in the left-hand side of the room, and everyone sees him, and almost as a as a collective go, "Oh shit!" Because they knew what was coming, and it was it was obviously a drug test failure and all the rest of it. And just you you, you just get these little moments, and 
that that fire alarm thing was uh, was a bit of a moment, and uh, it was it's, uh, it, it, it was good fun to it was good fun to do that. I hope we don't get too many more of those, just because it's it can't have been good for the fighters. It can't have been good for the fighters um, as they got ready for fight night, uh, and and fight night itself. Despite the upheaval and the confusion and having to spend best part of two and a half hours out of their hotel, the fighters delivered. Lena Landsberg versus Lucy Pudelova. Let's let's, let's rip through this card, Sandy. Lena Landsberg, Lucy Pudelova. Who'd have thought that after being absolutely smashed by Cyborg, Lena Landsberg would come away from this fight looking even worse than she did after the Cyborg fight? But trust me, she did. Um, I saw her in the hotel after the fight and she, uh, her head was hot, you know, the right hand side of her head was just ridiculously swollen. Um, she must've been in, in, in an incredible amount of pain. She was grinning away and trying to enjoy the evening, but you know, she picked up the win remarkably 29, 28 across the board, uh, in a fight that I thought she lost. Um, but, uh, but she picked up the win. Uh, then we had Brad Scott versus Scott Askham Sandu, and, and this was a real tear-up, wasn't it, this one? It really was. It was labelled the Battle of Britain, and it was a very evenly contested fight. Um, not the most technical of fights. There were moments where it just, for me, just turned into a, a bit of a brawl. Uh, but I highly recommend everyone, uh, please go um, find it where you can. It's available on MMA Junkie. Go watch the post-fight media scrum with Brad Scott. He got the win, split decision, and it meant the world to him. Um, when I actually ended up watching um, the full scrum, I got you know quite you know teary-eyed about it. And, and I got goosebumps again. You talking about it actually? Yeah, it, because um, it's moments like that where you can see how much a win in the UFC means to fighters. For Brad, it means job security. He didn't want to get cut from the UFC. He wants to keep fighting. He feels he can do better. He thinks he needs uh, to work with a support psychologist because he was kind of like you know going through some you know going through the the the, the moments, um, questioning him himself and wondering if he can actually perform to his best. And he and what he wants to try and do is replicate what he does in the gym on fight night, you know. Uh, and, and, as, and as for Scott Askham, you know. I hope that the UFC don't cut him, but just being realistic at the rate that they're trimming the fat, I think Scott might be let go. Um, but like, if, if that and if that is the case, we've spoken about this before, Simon. Um, if you're going to get let, let go now, might be the best time when you've got Bellator being super aggressive with European expansion. Um, I'm sure the likes of Cage Warriors and Bama and KSW and ACB. There's a lot of options in Europe now. Um, and uh, the the promotions that are kind of available to fight for, um, you know, are shelling out quite a, quite a few bob for fighters who have got the UFC on their resume. So we'll see what happens to Scott Askham, but congratulations to, to Brad Scott, um, and I'd love to see him come back sooner rather than later. He was off for quite some time. Um, let's get him perhaps on that Glasgow card later on this year. Yeah, that would be good. He, uh, he mentioned in the post-fight... Scrum, um, he mentioned to us that he, he thinks he's got a suspected rotator cuff injury. Uh, so that's something that he needs to get. I think he said he needs to go and have an MRI and check that out. Um, and that's the sort of injury that, that, that can really plague you as your career goes on. It's a very difficult injury to treat. 
uh, sort of entirely. It's the sort of thing that comes back and bothers you again and again. But it's also something that you can you can kind of you can kind of fight through if it's treated treated with uh, with painkillers and things like that. So so he's going to go and have that checked out and find out what's what. He wants to get back as soon as he can as well. And um, yeah, I've got to be honest, standing in that scrum and, and watching him watching him go through the emotional roller coaster like that, I'd have to say there was. It was it was difficult. You just you almost didn't want to ask him a question anymore. You just wanted to you, you know you just wanted to give the guy a hug and a pint of beer, you know, and just <laughs> just say so you don't need to talk to us anymore, Brad. Just 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 go and have a beer and then enjoy your night. But um, yeah, that was an emotional one. It, it sort of got you right in the feels that one. Um, if that one was emotional, the fight that followed it uh, was just high flying brilliance. Mark Diacasey. We've been high on this guy for a while. Anyone who's been listening to the Brit Pack from episode one, I think one of the early questions that we had was pick one name out as a guy to watch from the UK going forward. And the name that I gave was Mark Diacasey. This guy is absolute dynamite. And um, all week long, he was telling us that he was going to knock out Timu Pakalan in the first round. He also said he was going to do it with a spinning head kick. And I remember I said to him, I said... You know, you're giving yourself a bit of a job here, and he's like, "I can do it. I can do it." And he nearly did it as well. He, he, the uh, the actual fight itself, or almost all of it, in fact, because it only lasted thirty seconds. Uh, the uh, the final the final uh, exchange that really finished the fight that is up on YouTube uh, for you to watch. And if you haven't seen it, then I, I urge you to do so, and because you, you, I guarantee you, it's not one of those videos that you watch once and then just go off and do something else. You'll watch that back four, five, six, seven times. You probably email it to all your friends or tweet it out or put it on your Facebook. It's that good. He hits Timmy Packlin with a two-touch spinning kick that would have landed on his chin, but Packlin just about moved out the way and blocked it with his hand. He then hit him with a spinning back kick that really hurt him. And at that point, Packerlin decided, I need to close the distance here. Um, and at that point, Diakazi just just lined him up and laid him out flat with a right hand. Um, and uh, breakdancing celebration, crowd goes nuts. And the world now knows a little bit more about Mark Bonecrusher Diakazi. This guy is absolute dynamite, isn't he? He really is, Simon. He's arrived. He has arrived. Um, we've spoken about this in the past, Simon. Um, you know, prospects, no matter where you are, uh, from from wherever you are in the world, you know, it takes maybe perhaps a couple of fights for you to kind of get your feet wet a little bit. And then you're always looking for that breakout, that breakthrough performance, Simon. And that's the one that Mark had on Saturday night. That got him a $50,000 performance of the night bonus, one of four bonuses um, given on the night. That was one of only four finishes, and although there were only four finishes on the card, that was the you know aside from obviously the main event, the one that kind of really stood out. And I was kind of looking at the kind of um, reviews and feedback from all of our um, friends in the MMA media circle stateside. Everyone's now really taking notice of this kid. Everyone's paying attention. Um, it was almost a perfect kind of night for him. The only kind of thing I'd say is, um, and this is not just a criticism to him, but to anyone, I always like to see fighters who have big moments like that call their shot, um, have a name ready. He didn't go as far as that. Um, he basically said he's you know happy to fight anyone 
uh, that the UFC throws his way, which is basically the generic kind of response that most fighters give. Um, but what he did say is he'd like to jump that Stockholm card in a couple of months, if that's possible. And given the fact that he hardly broke a sweat um, in the fight because it only lasted 30 seconds, and if he's uh, not injured and he's physically fit, why not get him on that Stockholm card? And if that Stockholm card isn't available, get him on that Glasgow card. Because I think fires like Mark, these European shows that perhaps aren't going to have the biggest names from the US, they could perhaps use guys like Mark um, who are now starting to um, you know, create a name for themselves and they will be kind of one of the, the, the names that the guys over in the US will start to pay attention to. So in a roundabout way, it's almost like you're a big fish in a small pond if you're fighting on some of these European cards. But I think it was a fantastic night for Mark. Um, you know, I love the fact that he's changed his hair to red, and and hopefully that's something that continues. I'd like to see him perhaps change the color of his hair depending on where he's fighting or what his you know Reebok kit is, because it's almost now as if like you'll remember the fight and the finish just based on what color his hair was on that <laughs> fight night. So um, I love everything about him. He's got the charisma. He's definitely got the skill. He's got a great personality, and he's British. So let's get it on. Absolutely, I did. I did. Uh, I did pull him up on the hair thing. Um, we were actually in the in the boardroom on the Wednesday, uh, getting ready to do some interviews, and we were just. I don't even know what we were doing. We were just getting some stuff together, and there was this voice just shouted through the door, "Simon Ed, you're talking crap." I'm like, "What was that?" You're talking crap, Simon. I was like, what are you talking about? And uh, Mark Diacosi pops his head through the door. You're right, mate. How you doing? So uh, I went and had a chat with him, and I immediately sort of pulled him up on the hair thing and said, have you spoken to Dan Hardy? I take it you've you've signed some sort of contract, you know, for gimmick infringement and stuff like this. And, uh, you know, we had a bit of a joke about that. And I even spoke to Dan about it. He said, uh, Diacosi, he, he, he wears the red mohawk better than he ever did. So, uh, so that was kind of cool. But... Um, yeah, Diakazi in Sweden, I'm down for that. Give him David Tamer. Let's have Diakazi versus David Tamer. I'd love to see that. Alternative- love that. Love that fight, so I love it. Uh, if if they didn't, if the if if the uh, the WME IMG guys uh, and uh, Sean Shelby decide he needs to be put in front of an American audience, I want to see him fight Sage Northcutt. That's the fight I want to see on American soil. Dear Casey versus Sage Northcutt, I think that would be spectacular. Um, I also think he would take Sage Northcutt to pieces as well. Um, but I think I think that would be an exciting fight and a fight that would just elevate his star even further. So if they take him to America, give him Super Sage. If we're keeping him in Europe, David Tamer in Sweden would be absolute dynamite. I'd love to see that fight. Um, someone else who would beginning to sort of play... Uh, fantasy matchmaker for after this weekend is Leon Edwards, who defended Vicente Luque. This fight, uh, it went it went all three rounds. Edwards won a unanimous decision, 29-28 on all three cards. It maybe didn't catch fire in a way that we might have hoped leading into it. It was probably the one, you know, the uh, one of the fights I was looking forward to the most. But uh, I think what it proved is Leon Edwards is definitely ready for a step up. He's definitely ready for a step up. He's got He's got the ability to strike. He's proved that he's got the ability to to uh, to take the fight to the ground and, and and do well down there. The thing that really came out of that fight for me, Sandu, was he demonstrated the fight IQ that you need to be a real a real prospect in the UFC. And 
what he was doing against Luke Hay, he, he he admitted to us after the fight that he knows that Luke Hay is has got one punch knockout power. I think these last two fights leading into the fight were clean KOs from from the Brazilian. So he knew that he had to keep mixing things up. And even though Leon, for my money, was winning the stand up battle anyway, he was mixing things up and sc- and shooting takedowns just as Luke Hay looked like he was getting ready to like to sort of load up on stuff. So that was the big takeaway for. Uh, for me, from Leon Edwards, you know, just showcasing the fight IQ as well as his actual uh, skills, and uh, he's looking for Cowboy Cerrone next. Is that a re- is that a feasible call out? Do you think? Um, I don't think he'll get Cowboy Cerrone, but I like the call out. That's what I'm talking about. You know, you 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 win on home soil, and actually, it was one of the fights that I was kind of most worried about of all the Brits. Um, even Manua in the main event, I actually thought this was going to be the one that I thought, um, you know, would see a Brit lose, if I'm being quite open and honest, because um, Vicente Luque is, you know, a tough customer. Um, but credit to Leon, he could have really put everything together. Uh, and the fact that he called out Cowboy, OK, if he doesn't get Cowboy, at least he's aiming for the right ballpark. You know, you're aiming for a top 10, top 15 welterweight. Um, and that's what he needs to kind of uh, be aiming for uh, to start to kind of make a name for himself. Uh, and maybe perhaps fighting um, stateside uh, might help him do that now that he's got a nice little win streak going in the welterweight division. Yeah, good stuff for Leon Rocky Edwards, who every time we see him, he seems to come out of his shell a little bit more. He's He started out not too confident with the media, and but he, he seems to be getting better and better. And... Um, he gave a really good interview prior to his fight uh, with us at MMA Junkie, and and you could see it. There's there's just that 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 gradual increase of of confidence. Whether it's dealing with the media, whether it's dealing with the bright lights of a, of a UFC event, or whether it's getting in there and taking on taking on a fellow elite prospect in Vicente Luque. Interestingly, we asked him uh, backstage after the fight, "Is that the biggest?" Oh, sorry, was, was Luke the toughest opponent of your career? Or, or was that the biggest win of your career? And he said no. He said the Tumanov fight was the biggest, the biggest win of his career because Tumanov was ranked 13th. Um, and uh, Vicente isn't, isn't quite in those rankings. So um, Leon wants ranked opposition from now on, and I think he deserves it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how they match him because he's... He's going to be a tough customer for anybody, and it's we don't know where the ceiling is for him yet. Uh, Cowboy Cerrone would be one hell of a test, but I think Cerrone is in that sort of elite bracket where you only really make superstar fights with him at this stage. If he gets the opportunity to fight Cerrone, then that's that's almost as good as a title fight for Leon Edwards at this stage in his career. But I'm really looking forward to seeing where he lands next and who he fights next. Hopefully, for you know, if we're being selfish, uh, that we get to have that over here in Europe. But we'll see where he goes next. Heavyweights followed on the card. Timothy Johnson beat Daniel Omelanchuk by split decision. Tim Johnson's beginning to uh, specialise in these uh, three-round wars. He did it last time out uh, when we saw him in action. Uh, He's also beginning to become a bit of a go-to guy for the UFC in Europe as well. Um, he's pretty unassuming, you know. He's he's got this uh, self self deprecating sense of humour that I kind of like. He's alternating wins and losses, um, but uh, yeah, he's he's picked up back to back split decision wins uh, in Europe, and that was actually his third European fight in a row. 
and he's two and one on European soil for the UFC. So who knows? Maybe we'll see him again as the as the, uh, as the MMA year progresses. The next fight, Sandy, Francis Marvajoso defeating Darren the Dentist Stewart by unanimous decision. This was supposed to be the fight where Darren Stewart really made this one, uh, you know, really put the exclamation point on the fact that he beat him last time and then move on to fight at middleweight. It didn't go his way. Francis Marvajoso did, did what he needed to do and won that one by decision. I have to admit, I saw very little of this fight. Uh, due to the, the the way the whole backstage thing worked on Fight Night. We didn't get to see too much of that one. What did you make of it? It was a stinker, to be honest, Simon. <laughs> but um, I asked. <laughs> yeah, uh, not much can be said, really. Um, I don't know. I, I think I was expecting a little bit more out of Darren. Um, I liked his attitude at the Wayans. Um, he, uh, you know, I've seen his social media posts since the fight. He's really apologetic. Um, that wasn't anything what he's capable of whatsoever. Uh, we know that considering some of his uh, previous uh, performances, especially coming up in the European circuit, and uh, and to be honest with you, this is probably one that he wants to kind of you know put behind him now. Um, if he's going to make that move to middleweight, um, let us get that done, get it done now, um, give him a, a fresh start, a fresh coat of paint, so to speak. Uh, that is not a fight that anyone's going to be rewatching on UFC Fight Pass anytime soon. Let me tell you. Well, he has put on Twitter already, that uh, I think he tweeted today saying, middleweight, here I come. Um, okay. And we mentioned Scott Askham earlier. Scott Askham's coming off a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, wouldn't hurt to keep him around. I'd like to see him stick around. Why not put them against each other in Glasgow? That would, that would be a, a, decent, a decent enough uh, contest and would allow one of them to move, move on. So sure, uh, yeah. I think I think that would make a lot of sense. Uh, one of them can then kick on in as as in in that middleweight division. Askham versus Darren Stewart makes sense to me. We'll see if they make that one further down the line. The featured preliminary bout uh, and a fight that actually his teammate Arnold Allen said that this fight should have been on the main card instead of his fight, which I thought was very gracious of him. Joe Duffy defeating Razor Madadi by unanimous decision, thirty twenty seven across the board. But that really does not tell the story of just how good Joe Duffy looked in this fight. He looked I think I think we saw we saw him at like eighty five percent maybe. You know, he didn't look it looked to me like he had another gear if he wanted it or if he needed it. But he was also possibly a little wary with the fact that this was the last fight of his current UFC contract, that he didn't want to do anything silly, get caught, um, and then end up suffering a suffering a loss um, because he's going into negotiation stages now uh, initially with the UFC I think he's um, got like 90 days or something before uh, he's contractually allowed to field offers from anybody else um, but uh, yeah it was it, it was very important that, that he picked up the win on Saturday night unfortunately we didn't get the chance to talk to Joe backstage he was apparently transported uh, due to a, a, a potential foot injury, I don't know what kind of what kind of injury he's picked up there. Whether it's anything serious or not, I don't think it is. But uh, Joe Duffy, superb performance, showcasing just why he's one of the best striking stylists in that lightweight division. Absolutely, Simon. That jab is a thing of beauty, and you know he's got a boxing background. And um, I thought this is one of his most complete performances. I agree with you. I think he could have perhaps gone up another level 
uh, maybe even finished Razor. Um, but, you know, he did say, I think, on social media, um, or I can't remember where I actually maybe heard it. It might have been from um, some of the lads over on Severe MMA um, or some of the guys come, come covering the event uh, from, from Ireland that um, he was a little bit hesitant just because he was wary of Razor, you know, um, who is very unpredictable. And all it takes is a, is a wild overhand right and it's lights out so I, I thought he did the right thing to see the fight out it was um, an, an an easy fight to score very very one-sided 30 27 and all the judges scorecards and now it's very interesting this was a major storyline uh, coming into the event joe duffy is a free agent he's going to test himself on the open market see where he's valued at you'd like to think that the ufc will resign him simon but we've seen them let top 10 welterweights like rory mcdonald go you know, today, uh, before we started the show, it's official. Uh, another top 10 light heavyweight in Ryan Bader has also now signed uh, for Bellator. So Joe Duffy is not a, currently a top 10 lightweight. Um, so if the UFC are serious, especially about the European market, if they're serious about uh, the expansion, in, uh, especially in Ireland in the future, and to be honest with you, depending on how long Conor McGregor wants to stick around in the sport and fight for the UFC. Who knows how his career is going to go. But to have somebody that's got a win against him uh, in Joe Duffy in your back pocket is never a bad thing. Just to perhaps use that when you perhaps might need to if maybe Conor McGregor goes on a skid. Right? So, but also, more importantly than all of that stuff, you know, potentials, you know, McGregor fights down down the road. Just for meritocracy alone, you know, Joe Duffy's, you know, really starting to put things together now. Um, he's at TriStar, um, like uh, his buddy Arnold Allen is. And, um, and I think if, he, you know, the UFC were to re-sign him, that, that would give him the vigor to now start to go 110% and put it all out there, try and get some finishes under his belt and really kick on in that lightweight division. So hopefully he sticks around. But I tell you what, um, if he doesn't stick around with the UFC... Bellator would snap him up in a heartbeat, I'd imagine, because they are expanding heavily in Europe, specifically in the UK and Ireland. And I can see him headlining potentially multiple cards uh, in Dublin for Bellator if that's the eventual route they, uh, that this whole scenario ends up taking. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the thing, the thing with Joe Duffy, and, and aside from the fact that he's a damn good fighter and he... he he comes across very well, and he's got an excellent record. Um, even he's lost to Dustin Poirier, which let's forget, that's his only loss in the UFC. Uh, prior to that, his only other defeat came back in 2011 uh, in a Cage Warriors World Championship fight. So, you know, and that, that, that fight against Dustin Poirier was, was, a, was, a, was a good, entertaining fight. You know, he had his, he had his share of successes in that fight. Before eventually losing on the uh, you losing on the scorecards rather, um, but the big thing here, if the UFC ever want to go back to Ireland and they want to put some Irish talent on that card, they're not going to put Connor on there. I I, I said uh, I said this week on on the MMA Roadshow, I'm not convinced Conor McGregor ever fights in the UFC again. I've got a feeling we might not. Have, I don't think we'll see him again. If he I fight, agree, yeah. I think I think it's it's entirely possible. That we've seen, the, you know, Conor McGregor in the octagon for the final time. Uh, that's not what I want, but I have I'm, I have a sneaking suspicion that might be the case. I hope to be proved wrong, but I'm sure time will tell on that one. But 
even if he does stick around, he's not going to headline an event at the Three Arena. You know that that nine thousand seat arena in Dublin, which is you know the only feasible venue that they've got for the UFC. Uh, who are they going to have? Joe Duffy is the next best guy. Um, he was supposed to headline there eighteen months ago uh, against Dustin Poirier um, mm-hmm. at UFC Fight Night in Dublin, and uh, he has, he suffered that flash flash knockout inspiring, and that knocked him off the card. Um, he's someone who can help sell tickets and you know he had he had a load of support in the arena on fight night so he's someone who i think it would i think it's a no-brainer that the ufc sign him i really do i think i think it would be it would be borderline negligence for them to let him go he's too talented and he's still got he's still got a good three or four years worth of, of fighting ahead of him at least um and he's still improving i think i think it's a no-brainer i'd be I would be bitterly disappointed if the UFC didn't at least make a concerted effort to keep him. That's not to say that he'll he'll go with the offer that that, that that they give him. Bellator might come in with an absolute blockbuster offer, in which case it might be it might make more sense for him to go to Bellator. But uh, I would love to see him stick around in the UFC. Whoever gets him are going to have a have an excellent excellent lightweight fighter on their hands, and he proved that on Saturday night. He he rounded off. The preliminary card uh, at UFC London that left us with the four-fight main card. His teammate Arnold Allen defeated Maquan Amerkani, uh, who uh, who we know very well. We've covered him on many occasions, um, and uh, he's he, he's a bit of a character. He's always got time for us, which is nice. Um, Arnold Allen is a is a great guy as well. He's always very giving of his time. A real prospect moving forward. This was a close, close fight. Now I didn't. I, there were people in the press room who were sort of gasping in amazement when Alan got this hand raised. I was watching the fight on and off. You can't score a fight unless you're watching it properly, and arguably you can't score a fight at all if you're watching it on television. I'm, I think there's a theory that you know you can be easily swayed by commentary, camera angles, and all that sort of thing. But what I saw of the fight. It looked incredibly close. It looked very well contested. And it was a very, very grueling contest. Alan looked to me to get better as the fight went on. Uh, Ahmed Khani, to me, I thought won the first round. Which is why I was a little surprised that the the, uh, the two scorecards for Arnold Allen both read 30-27. Because um, I, did, I did watch the first round uh, before I got dragged off to do other bits. So, how did you score it? Having you know sitting sit, you know sitting and watching it with a much with a much closer eye than I did. Yeah, I actually scored it for Maquan Americani. I gave him I think it was the first two rounds. I gave Arnold the third round. I think by the third round Maquan had really started to gas, um, and by the third round I, I just think his his punches were a little bit lazy. Um, you know, his game is very much ground based, grappling based, and I think he expended a, the majority of the of his energy in the first ten minutes of the fight. Having said that, though, this was definitely a fight of a lot of scrambles, a lot of transitions. Very, very tough fight to score. And if you scored it for Arnold, I've got absolutely no problem with that. This was literally a, a pick 'em fight. It was a coin flip um, going into it, and that's exactly how these guys performed. Um, I think Arnold eventually, especially in that third round, looked to me to be the more complete fighter. He's it was almost like he was kind of um, 
what's the saying, Simon? Jack of all trades, master of none. That's, That's the saying, right? That's it. And uh, well, whereas McQuan was very, very comfortable in one area, um, obviously that being on on the ground and on the mat. Um, but I mean, I loved the fight. I really, really. I mean, if they had a, a fight of the night perform um, performance uh, bonus available to, to to two fighters, this is definitely my fight of the night. I absolutely loved it. Really did. Um, but the winner was Arnold, and uh, great moment for him. Um, I, th- I thought it was kind of. Um, uh, Quite quite nice to see him kind of like um, almost kind of ask um, Dan Hardy in the post fight interview in a sheepish way. How do I get these fans, the UK fans, to love me like they love you? And I think the best thing Arnold can do is just carry on being himself. Spong. He's still a he's still a very young man. You know, he's in his early twenties. He's still you know probably finding out who he is and getting comfortable on the mic with the cameras and the big spotlight. Um, the talent is there. The the potential talent is there. And actually, I still think he's still developing into his own body. You know, let's see how big and how muscular and how strong and how how athletic he can eventually get, given the fact that he's got a pedigree of uh, of strong men and women in his DNA, right? So, I mean, if he can carry on, um, you know, doing what he's doing over there at TriStar. Um, with the development of his body, uh, I'm sure he'll be, you know, um, a threat uh, to be reckoned with. But I don't want to. He's where, whereas Mark Diakazi, I just see right. Let's get him a top 15 ranked opponent if that's possible. With uh, with Arnold, given the performance that I saw, I'd like to see a little bit of a a slower build. I'd like to see him get um, fights um, that make more sense. You know, some careful matchmaking with him. Um, and then hopefully we can see the development um, from him down the road. Perhaps if we can maybe see a couple of highlight feel, highlight real um, finishes, whether that's a submission uh, or, an, or a knockout, and he gets to be a little bit more comfortable, then I perhaps want to see him get a top 15 ranked opponent. What do you think, Si? Yeah, I agree. I don't think we've scratched the surface of what Arnold Allen's capable of yet. He, he came away from that fight frustrated at some of the things he did. Um, he felt that he really should have been striking a lot better than he did. He felt he got dragged into playing Macwan's game and turning it into a glorified wrestling contest. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, speaking backstage after the fight, he was very frustrated that he allowed that to happen. Um, but he's got a lot of upside, and I think he needs to just let let things progress and let things happen naturally. I know, you know, he was a little frustrated that perhaps he wasn't getting wasn't getting the shine that perhaps he maybe deserved. And I know he was getting, you know, a lot of people were sort of criticising the card and things like this. And he, I think he took exception to that. He he, he took that personally. Um, so hopefully, hopefully people are beginning to get switched on to Arnold Allen. I think he needs, I think what he needs to really kickstart his career is a finish. I think, you know, he, he, he's first, his first UFC fight, he stepped in short notice and submitted um, Alan Omer in Berlin. And since then, he's had a couple of decisions, hard-fought decisions, I think. I think what he really could do with now is another finish, just to kick him up another gear, to alert people to the fact that this is, this is a, a fast-rising uh, prospect who can, who can mix things up a little bit. I think he's a lot better than we've seen so far. That's not a criticism of the performances that we've had from him yet, um, I, I, I just think, I just think he's still evolving. He's still only a kid in this game, 
he's in a, he's in the right spot up there at TriStar. And uh, I think we've got some good things to come for Arnold Allen. You talk about Macwan Amirkani, and it, it put me into matchmaking mode again, Sandu. I don't know what it is today. Um, I've got a fight for him. He wants a rematch. He's already gone on social media calling for a rematch. I don't, I don't see that happening. But I have got a fight that I would be very interested in seeing. And if he's able to turn himself around for the Sweden card, uh, how's about this? How about Makwan Amekani versus Teruto Ishihara in Stockholm, Sweden? I like it, Simon. That is bang on the money because I don't think Teruto Ishihara is exactly, um, you know, going to be blazing the MMA world on fire um, with his potential capability. But at the same time, I think he's got a spunky personality. I think he's a fun fighter. Um, and I think that would be a good uh, contest to kind of get Makwan, uh, you know, back on the horse, so to speak. So I'm all over that fight. Love it. Yeah, both guys coming off defeats. Uh, Ishihara lost last time out in Belfast. Um, we were there for that one. He lost in Belfast to Artem Lobov, who has obviously gone on and he's going he's gonna to face Cub Swanson next. So... But yeah, I just I was just thinking, who who could he fight? Who could he fight that would still be some you know a fight that that, that people would pay attention to? Because yeah. um, I don't think the American audience has quite picked up on Mac one yet, and maybe a win on Saturday might have helped. But um, stick him in with Ishihara, I think that, and on European soil, I think that's a fight that makes a whole lot of sense. Ishihara uh, won over well, he, he certainly won a lot of fans over over in this part of the world when he came over in. Uh, when was it? November last year. So yeah. uh, with them, with them both coming off defeats, it gives one of them the opportunity to kick on and get get back in the win column again. Um, mm. That was Arnold Allen versus Matt Quinn. currently split decision, uh, but it went Arnold Allen's way. The next fight, Sandu, got me right in the feels. I've got to be mm. honest. Uh, everyone in the press room stopped. So much so that Arnold Allen himself came in to do his post-fight scrum, saw that Brad was about to fight and said, oh, do we want to, you know, do we want to watch this? And uh, Abby said, if you, if, if you want to watch the fight first, then do the scrum after, we could do that. Mirroring the thought in every other journalist's head at the time. <laughs> and uh, he was like, yeah. So I ended up stood right next to Arnold Allen watching the Brad Pickett fight. So, it was, uh, but it was, it was all going so well. Sandu, first round, he did superbly. He 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 got tagged once or twice, did pick it, but he won the round. Second round, he played it smart. He went to his wrestling. He mixed things up, and Vera didn't have an answer to it. Two rounds in, he's two rounds up. Twenty eighteen on the card in his last fight, in his entire career. All you've got to do, Brad. Five more minutes. Five more minutes. Stay out of trouble. Fight smart. And it got to like halfway through the last round. And I'm like, you've done well, Brad, but you're getting hit now. Because, you know, the head movement had stopped. The tiredness was setting in. And he was getting hit. And I'm thinking, now's the time for a takedown. Now's the time for a takedown. He never tried to take down. And it got to like two minutes. One and a half minutes. It's like, Okay, Brad, take him down now. You've got the fight in the bag. You win 29-28. He stayed on his feet. He wanted to go out the way that he has always looked to fight, 
on his feet, pleasing the crowd, and then bang, he gets hit with a high kick to the dome. Down he goes, two big hammer fists, and Grant Waterman, the man who refereed Brad Pickett's very first fight, brought the curtain down on Pickett's career by, quite correctly, bringing an end to his very last fight. It was, it was, it was, I don't even know if I can explain it. It was almost like watching a car crash in slow motion that last round. And as a British journalist who's followed Brad Pickett and has spoken to him on countless occasions and had spoken to him at length in fight week, that was tough to watch, man. It was, it was, it was really tough to watch and it just shows, you know, fairy tales don't happen in real life very often. And, uh, yeah, boy. It was it, it was a tough one to watch. It was a tough one to watch. Yeah, this sport doesn't care if it's your first fight or your last fight, Simon. It will spit you out at a moment's notice. And, um, you know, it's really unfortunate that Brad went out the way he did. Uh, you know, you go back to a year ago, you know, O2 Arena, London, a much bigger spotlight on that car just due to the fact that Bisping and Silva uh, were the headline act, and he won. And uh, and, I, and I go back to uh, Fight Week, Simon, your one-to-one interview uh, that you had with him. And after you'd wrapped up the official interview, we just kept on talking to Brad for about another 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. And we spoke to him about that moment in the O2 Arena a year ago. And whereas we thought his reaction was, oh, I finally won. Now perhaps I can call it a day. For him, it was, great, I've won. Now I can continue to find the UFC. And, you know, it's unfortunate that since that fight a year ago, he's, you know, gone 0-4 in his last four. And, um, you know, he went out on his shield. But what I will say, and, uh, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier on the show, the way Dan Hardy handled that post-fight interview with Brad was absolute pure class. It really was. Um, and actually, I give credit to both Brad and to Marlon Vera. Um, for, for Marlon Vera, he was obviously in hostile territory. Everybody in the O2 arena, they were on their feet for Brad, on their feet. And, you know, where Marlon was perhaps getting booed throughout the fight, the minute he got on that microphone with Dan Hardy, even he was able to choke me up um, a little bit talking about his story, um, how, how much he wanted to be um, on this card and, and fight Brad and how Brad was an inspiration to him. And, um, you know, by the end of his kind of emotional speech, you had everybody in the arena cheering him on, you know. So he was able to turn the crowd around in, in his favor, giving lots of respect to Brad. And then, of course, you know, Brad was given his moment to kind of speak to, uh, to to Dan and to the crowd and to the whole MMA world. And very emotional stuff, Simon, very emotional stuff. And, you know, he may not be, I suppose, considered a, a global legend, um, you know, like the likes of Anson Silva or Fedor Emelianenko or Chuck Liddell or, you know, to name just a few. But he's a legend for UK MMA. He means a hell of a lot to the fight community here in England. And, um, you know, he went out on a shield. Everything about the, the you know, the promotion. And I, I, was, I, I was a little bit critical of the UFC with regards to how they could have promoted Jimmy's storyline heading into the main event. But I thought they did an absolute bang up job of promoting Brad Pickett's retirement fight. He was he walked out with the trilby. He walked out with that newspaper. 
And for those of you listening that um, perhaps aren't aware of this, that newspaper had messages from fans, from fellow fighters, from the UFC staff, from media members. I know that both Simon, you and me and our colleagues all uh, partic- participated in that and you know, wrote a little message for Brad. The, the UFC London office did that for him. Um, he's got his own, you know, copy and something that's framed, something that he can take away with him. So everything else was fantastic, and and you know, as he was kind of like making his way uh, to the octagon, he was kind of like almost breathing in the moment and soaking it all up and absorbing it one final time. And I thought, oh no, you know, is this going to be um, too much for him? You know, will this moment get the best of him? But then, like you said, Simon, those first two rounds were absolutely some of the best Brad's uh, performed in the octagon for quite some time. Really, really good stuff out of him. Uh, and it was a very competitive fight, but Brad definitely had those first two rounds wrapped up 10-9. And like uh, like I said, Simon, all of a sudden, here comes a big head kick. His uh, head hits the floor, rolls back. And to be honest with you, if Grant Waterman had even stopped it after that head kick, I would have been happy with it. But then, of course, Marlon Vera followed up with a couple of hammer fists, and, uh, and that's all she wrote. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the Dan Hardy thing because I think I think the way the way he handled the interview was spot on. It's sometimes people are very quick to criticise the guys who get in and do the post fight interviews. They've got to do that. You know, they have to react to events as they as they happen. They've got producers normally shouting in their ear, telling them how long they've got and and all of this sort of stuff. Dan went in there, spoke from the heart as a former fighter, um, and and gave Brad he gave Brad the tribute that he deserved without going over the top, you know. Um, and I thought that, that that Marlon Vera came away with it with an immense amount of respect. Um, he he was in tears after the fight. I watched the fight back um, today, and I had a lump in my throat from the minute the head kick landed because it brought back it brought back the feeling of the night itself but sitting and watching it and being able to properly hear the interviews because I couldn't really hear them at the time um, was uh, yeah it was as a British journalist I, I found it I found it you know a, a very emotional thing um, you're supposed to be impartial and as much as possible we are but it's hard not to root for your own and, and it's hard not to root for for people who you know in the sport who are just good people. Um, you know, wins and losses in the grand scheme of things don't count for anything. Um, it's all about, it's all about, you know, how, how people are. And, and, and the fact that this, this was Brad's last fight. And he even said in the press conference, win or lose, it wasn't that important. It was the fact that he was getting to go out on his own terms and getting to go out in his hometown. And, uh, I thought, it was almost perfect, wasn't it? It was almost perfect. It was just, it was just a little bit at the end. It's like the MMA gods just tapping everybody on the shoulders and say, "Don't get too sentimental, guys. This is the toughest sport in the world." And here's a little reminder for you. Um, but uh, yeah, I, lo- I, I wish Brad all the best in uh, in, in, in his, his his next chapter. I know he's got his own promotion, Rise of Champions, where he's looking to develop the stars of tomorrow. Um, and uh, he, ho- he holds that out of the southeast of England. And uh, yeah, I don't know what else he has planned. He's got his young family, so wish him all the best with that. He's going to be missed, but I also think that 
I think we're all pretty much in unanimous agreement that now was the right time. Um, and uh, yeah, we wish him all the bre- you know, all the best, Brad One Punch Pickett, the man in the Trilby hat. As uh, he put his hat down in the cage and uh, walked out for the very, very last time. Emotional stuff at the O2 Arena. But that wasn't even the main event. We had two more to go at UFC Final 107 in London. Gunnar Nelson, what more can we say about this guy? He he just continues to impress. I know he lost to Damian Meyer, um, but you go to the ground with Damian Meyer, you're gonna lose. There's, there's, you know, even if you're as good as Gunnar Nelson, and Gunnar Nelson is probably the next best guy on the ground in the UFC welterweight division. You know, I don't think there's any shame in losing to Damian Meyer, but Gunnar Nelson looked absolutely phenomenal against Alan Joban. That might have been the best win of his UFC career. Uh, hit Joban. It's a very strange punch that wobbled Joban. It was a very short, short punch. Just caught him coming in, cracked him. Looked like straight across the bridge of the nose, actually. And it completely sent Joban's legs all over the place. Next thing we know, big kick, drags him to the floor, submits him. Just clinical. Amazing stuff from the Iceman. Where does he go next, Sandy? That was impressive, wasn't it? Very impressive. It was almost a perfect uh, finish, really, because he rocked him and then he submitted him. So you can't do better than that. And I think, you know, this is an interesting fight for for Nelson to take because Nelson, he... um, you know, he's ranked number nine, or he, he was heading into this fight. Maybe that'll change a little bit this week. Maybe he'll go up uh, a place or two. To accept a fight against an unranked opponent is always a little bit strange, especially if you're well within the top ten. So, you know, since the fight, Kevin has kind of come out and asked for Donald Cerrone. And again, if you're looking at Leon Edwards and Gunnar Nelson calling out Donald Cerrone, I think Gunnar Nelson's in a much better position uh, to perhaps get that fight. Um, and Kevin has also called for Wonderboy, which would be a cracking fight. I'd love to see that fight. Um, but what I want to see is I want to see Gunnar definitely, you know, um, aim for a top five, top six opponent so he can start to kind of move up the ranks. Um, he mentioned the fact that perhaps in the Rick Story fight and, you know, a few other fights in the past, he's perhaps um, not been too wary of the of the time limit. Of, uh, of the rounds uh, and, and perhaps taking a little bit too long to get going. Um, and that's something that he's been working on. And the proof's in the pudding, Simon. He's finally putting it all together. Yeah, I asked, asked Gunn about that in a press conference because he lost to Rick Story over a five-round fight. But it was it always struck me watching him in that fight that it was a case of he didn't so much lose as run out of time to win, if that makes sense. I get the impression that if you you put him in there with almost anybody in that welterweight division in a no time limit bout, he will eventually find a way to beat you. Um, he's he's that he's that cerebral. He's got the striking smarts that remain pretty underrated, but he's he, he's doing damage with his striking. So um, you know that's that's obviously there for him. Everybody knows about his submission game, and when he gets an opportunity, he jumps on it. And if he, as soon as he gets a submission. Game over, finished. So, yeah, it was interesting talking to him in a press conference. He he said that that story fight really was a bit of a turning point for him, um, and he has become more more of an aggressor, a bit more of an attacking force, rather than being a bit laid back and being on autopilot. He said to me, "You watch that fight back, and there were times where 
he was watching himself going, well, what the hell am I doing? You know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything here. Why am I, you know? So he has clearly, he's taken his coach's mantra of win or learn. And uh, he certainly learned from that fight. And he's looked superb ever since. The Wonderboy fight, stylistically, would be brilliant. I'd love to see that. Whether the UFC would make it with so many other contenders between the pair of them in the rankings, I'm not so sure. I think if you're Wonderboy, you probably wouldn't want to drop down that far to fight the number nine guy. Um, you know, someone like Carlos Condit might make more sense for Wonderboy. I don't know if he's still if he's still in active competition. But uh, Gunner definitely needs to be looking above him. You know, Neil Magny might be an option. Um, he may be available. So, I don't know. It's a tough one. But Gunner, Gunner remains a serious threat in that welterweight division. And arguably, he hasn't looked better in the octagon than he did against Alan Joban, who uh, is a serious, a serious person to deal with in that in that octagon. He looked excellent against Mike Perry in his last fight. So. Really looking forward to seeing where Gunnar Nelson uh, ends up fighting next. Maybe Stockholm, maybe Stockholm. So we'll have to see. Uh, you could almost you, you could potentially see him on that card slotting into the co-main event slot beneath uh, Alexander Gustafsson, but we'll have to wait and see. That all takes us to the man on the poster, the main event, and the man on the poster was the poster boy himself, Jimmy, the poster boy Manoa against Corey Overtime Anderson. He's no longer 25-8, but he still is to us. Um, and uh, they put on, I was going to say, they put on uh, they put on a spectacular fight. They didn't. Jimmy put on a spectacular fight. Jimmy basically stuffed everything that Corey Anderson had to offer in, in the wrestling department and then knocked him stiff with a right hand. It was, uh, uh, sorry, a, a huge left hook. It was, it was a remarkable performance. And from being the dangerous striker who hadn't hadn't been able to get a highlight real finish, he's now two for two in his last two fights. Both huge left hook finishes, both knockouts, and uh, Jimmy Manoa is all of a sudden a serious force to be reckoned with in that UFC light heavyweight division. And uh, he had some people to call out after the fight, Sander, as well. Yeah, he certainly did, and I love it. You know, he's calling out um, the winner of DC Rumble, which is exactly what you you should be doing if you're ranked number four in the UFC and you've just <laughs> got a walk off knockout win um, against uh, the number six ranked opponent in a main event slot in your hometown. That's exactly what you should be doing. So kudos on Jimmy for doing that. And if they're not available, Simon. David Hay in a boxing match, which seems to be all the craze these days. MMA fighters calling out boxers. Uh, what have Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather started? Jesus bleeping Christ. Um, let's be realistic. Um, in the interim, I don't think the boxing fight's going to happen, but I can definitely perhaps see that happening somewhere down the road. I know David Hay's a big fan of MMA. He's been cage side sitting alongside Dana White uh, for quite some time. Um, You know, it's quite common knowledge in our little bubble that um, Jimmy Manoa does train with uh, Dillian White. Um, So he gets some top level boxing, sparring and um, training in um, all the time. And, um, you know, he's a London based fighter. Why not have uh, two guys from London um, who have headlined events 
from two different combat sports in the O2 arena uh, put on a boxing match. You know, David Hayes coming off a loss. You know, it might not be something that translates well um, around the world, but boxing is thriving uh, in the UK. It's huge here. Still very much the predominant combat sport, um, mostly because um, boxing is on at prime time. Uh, but it's also helped that uh, the promoters here in the UK have really got behind some of the emerging British talent got them on massive platforms, told their stories, promoted them well, and uh, and made them household names. Um, and they have turned into draws. You know, they're consistently selling out arenas across the UK. Um, it seems to be doing really, really well on pay-per-view. They've got a fantastic um, deal with Sky Sports, so it's consistently getting uh, the best mainstream sports coverage you can ask for in the UK. So, you know, I'd like to obviously see uh, Jimmy stay uh, in MMA, stick around and get some more MMA fights in the UFC because I don't think he's too far off a title shot himself. What I'd like to see happen next for Jimmy is I, I think the, the Shogun fight makes a lot of sense, Simon, and here's why. Uh, like I said, I, I love the fact that he called out the, the winner of DC and Rumble. That's what you should be doing. Uh, but if I'm being realistic, with our new overlords, WMEIMG, I don't think that's the fight they're going to make. I think they're waiting for John Jones to come back in the summer uh, and fight the winner of DC Rumble. DC's got on record, told MMA Junkie last week that, that he's nearing the end of his career. He wants to get this Rumble fight out of the way, and then he wants to fight Jones twice. Once won't be enough. Once would equal their Series 1 all, and then he wants to beat him one more time and call it a day. And then on the outside chance that a fight falls apart or falls through, he may, um, you know... Think about fighting Gustafsson one more time if Gustafsson um, keeps his winning run uh, going. But he'd like to avoid it if he can because that Gustafsson fight was really, really tough. So kudos on Jimmy for doing what he um, you know, said he was going to do and call out um, the winner of that title fight. I think the Shogun fight makes a lot of sense because it keeps his name in the picture. It keeps him active. He's in his late 30s. Um, try and get as many fights as you can um, and get some big paydays. That Rio card in June... Uh, UFC 212 would make a hell of a lot of sense because it's a pay-per-view event that would be seen by a hell of a lot more people in America than this Fight Pass card in London uh, and actually uh, I think he'd spark Shogun I think he'd beat him as well so I think all the ingredients make sense for the Shogun fight uh, but going back to the performance Simon just absolutely happy for him, over the moon for him um, like I said um, I was open and very critical of the fact that Jimmy's had opportunities um, and he hasn't, uh, contrary to what John Gooden said in the broadcast, um, he doesn't always hit the mark. You know, he's had a few stumbling uh, blocks here and there, but he's put it all together now. Back-to-back -back highlight knockouts on a UFC pay-per-view in UFC 204 and a main event in his backyard in the O2 arena. It just doesn't get any better than that for Jimmy Manua. No, I, I, I completely agree with the call-out of the champion. I think when you're ranked fourth in the world and you've had a knockout like that, you've got to be shooting for the title. You've got to be. There's this, there's this, little, there's this little cluster of guys at the top of the UFC light heavyweight division. You've got Cormier, Johnson, Gustafsson, Teixeira's kind of on the bubble, and of course you've got John Jones whenever he comes back. And then it's the rest. You know, and there's a bit of a gap between the rest and that little group. Maybe Teixeira's kind of one foot in, one foot out. Um, Teixeira's fighting Gustafsson, so that fight's done. Johnson's fighting Cormier, so that fight's done. John Jones comes back in the summer. 
that's a possibility. I can see the UFC booking that fight. Um, but I can also see the UFC booking John Jones straight into a championship fight against the winner of DC in Rumble. So if that is going to happen, then Shogun Hua really is the next best option on the table. There isn't. You certainly don't want to be looking any further down the down the list. He's knocked out Corey Anderson. He's knocked out Ovin St. Prue. They're six and eight, respectively. Um, Volkan Ozdemir is going to... A win over him is going to do nothing for his career. So, um, with all due respect to him, that's a pointless fight for Jimmy Manoa. Um, so, really, it's the championship, it's John Jones, or it's Shogun. They're the three fights. Um, and I agree with you. I think he'd, I think he'd knock out Shogun. Um, it's a fight that I wanted to see about 18 months ago. I was calling for it about 18 months, two years ago. Um, I thought because I thought then it was a fight that Jimmy Jimmy could win. I think Jimmy now would would definitely win that fight. So it really is time for them to put Jimmy back in back in there with the you know the very very elite guys in the division because I think he's now bridged that gap. I think he should now be considered part of that part of that little cartel of light heavyweights. At the top, um, the one thing is he hasn't had his shot yet, and I think uh, it would be great to see him get that shot. Um, if it's against Rumble Johnson, that would be particularly interesting because that would be a rematch. I think if Cormier hangs onto the belt, I think that that basically shuts the door on a fight with Manoa because they're more likely to do the John Jones fight. So, if you're a Jimmy Manoa fan and you want to see him fight for the world title, I think you need to be cheering on Anthony Rumble Johnson when he takes on Daniel Cormier in a few weeks' time. But, um, yeah, super impressed with him. Great knockout. Um, he he was pretty good in the media, the media scrums and in the interview we had with him in, in, in the week. Um, and uh, he hinted at the boxing thing. I asked him about it on, on the Wednesday. I didn't think he was going to call out David Hay in the post-fight interview, though, Sandy. I did not see that coming. But that is a fight I'm all up for. I'm not... I'm not an enormous fan of Connor fight, uh, fighting Mayweather because I think Connor's a world champion. Um, in fact, he's a four-time world champion and he still hasn't defended any of them yet. So I'd kind of like him to do that. That would be my preference. Um, I understand why the Mayweather fight is going to happen, but you know, I want him to defend one of his MMA world titles before he sort of gallops off into the sunset. Um, well, he's only got one MMA world title defense side, so UFC lightweight championship. But what he's I mean, not gonna, is, he's not going to get a cage for his and defend his You know what I mean. You know what I mean. He's won four world titles. He's defended yes. none of them. He can only yes. defend the one he's got. But yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But yeah, he. Uh, I think he needs to defend that belt. But there you yeah. go. Um, but no, I think Jimmy doesn't have that problem. Jimmy, Jimmy's not a world. Uh, he's not a world title holder. Um, there may be a bit of a logjam ahead of him. So yeah. maybe there is possibility to do it. And he wouldn't need to be on the undercard of the Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather event. If anything, he'd make less money if he was. Because if you did Jimmy Manoa versus David Hay at the O2 Arena, David Hay filled out the O2 Arena fighting a guy who no one had heard of and a guy who I can't even remember. Um, I think he was from Australia. Um he sold out the arena. That show, I think, it was shown on Dave. That fight, the UK channel here. Dave, what Dave. A name. Yeah, um, <laughs> we have a TV channel here called Dave. For anyone who isn't from the UK, um, and uh, it was it was an absolute walkover of a fight. Yeah, it sold out the O2. Sold it out. Jimmy Manoa versus David Hay would definitely sell out the O2. 
and they can keep the money for themselves. So why be on the undercard? Be the main event. That fight, I think that fight, if you're going to do it, it makes sense to do it in the O2 in London, balls to anybody else, let them be the main event and, and let them make their money. Um, I'll tell, tell you what it would do, Simon. Mm-hmm. It would boost Jimmy Manuel's profile. It would boost the profile of MMA in the UK. It would definitely boost the profile of the UFC because it would get covered from Sky Sports, all the back pages of all the major newspapers here in the UK. And, you know, if Jimmy pa- Manuel is in a holding pattern, um, given his record, and if it's only going to be a title shot that he's going to hold out for, why not do it? If, of course, um, the UFC would allow him to do it. And I think, you know, Again, this is what the Mayweather-McGregor fight might do, is the UFC is going to have to give um, the allowance for McGregor to do this contractually. And again, it's a difficult one, because if you allow one guy to do it, why not allow another guy to do it? It's just uh, once you kind of open those doors, you know, sometimes it it can be looked at from the outside looking in that you're kind of treating fires unfairly you know and it's kind of weird because you know the ufc have allowed their fighters to compete in um grappling and bjj tournaments and events and bits and pieces um never anyone in boxing this would definitely be the first if uh, this may with the mcgregor fight happens um but you know I, I don't blame the fires for trying to do this you know you see anderson silver roy jones jr they're talking about it um and hey you know what simon worst case scenario um, at least it's probably got Jimmy Manuel a couple of extra headlines. Absolutely, absolutely. And here's something that it, it came to mind on the way home from USC London. With all of this talk, why not? Why not become a boxing promoter as well? UFC boxing. Um, why not add that string to the bow of that particular organisation? Give them the power to to hold and promote boxing events. Yeah, MMA is the bread and butter. But if the line is beginning to get blurred, rather than be the one who's cut out of a deal, be the people who are slap bang in the middle of the deal. And I think, I think that that might make sense as well. Um, but uh, no, interesting to see what happens with Jimmy Manoa. He's uh, he's he's had a very interesting career path. He came into the sport very late. Um, took him three contract offers from the UFC before he eventually took one. Um, and since then, he's gradually moved his way up. He's had a couple of setbacks. He's bounced back from them. And now here he is, arguably, on the cusp of a title shot. He might need one more win, or maybe he won't. Maybe he'll get the next one. Who knows? But um, that was a landmark win for the poster boy on Saturday night. And uh, the, you know the crowd absolutely loved it. Everybody loves a one-punch walk-off knockout. And that one was a little bit special. From Jimmy, the poster boy, Manoa. That wraps things up, Sandu, for the uh, the UFC London recap. It was a good week and a good weekend, and a fight card that everybody was crapping on actually delivered some good fights. And I think the people who bought their tickets will walk away feeling pretty happy with what they saw. I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I think the next time the UFC comes to town, especially London, they need to deliver, um, especially with some big name value fighters especially at the top end of the card i think they got away with it this time because the tickets went on sale before they officially announced the main event and i think there was the um the the perceived i suppose misconception from the fan base that oh yeah sure 
you know, I'm sure the UFC will, you know, bring uh, a gay god Mustafi versus a, a Luke Rockhold or a Chris Weidman, someone of that ilk or caliber uh, to our shores and to the to our capital. That that wasn't the case. Like I said, now that the fights and uh, the, the 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 events in the books, I've got no complaints about it. I think the storyline of Jimmy Manuel headlining the card and winning is huge for him and used for. You know, how many Londoners, you know, in any kind of individual sport in the world um, get the rub and get the shine um, like Jimmy Manoa has got this past weekend uh, in any given sport? You know, uh, if you look at some of the other UK or British athletes out there, you know, you've got Andy Murray in, in tennis, but he's a proud Scot. And I, and I hate the fact that the, the English media all of a sudden kind of claim a Scottish or a Welsh or a, a Northern Irish kind of um, athlete um, as British. But whenever uh, there's somebody specifically from the from from England, he's English. You know what I mean? I always hate that. And it happens too often. But right now they've got someone in Jimmy Manua who can who can who they can really get behind. And the one thing I will say about London events. Um, and then probably we'll, we'll wrap this whole kind of segment up. It always gets the most media turnout of any European event, barring I'd reckon a McGregor fight in Dublin, <laughs> right? Um, the turnout was brilliant all week long, absolutely packed. And we've been on the circuit, Simon. We've been to events in Stockholm, in Berlin, in Rotterdam, in in Poland, and you know it gets decent turnout especially from the local indigenous media from the market that we're traveling to. Uh, but overall, it's it's pretty comfortable. Everyone's got, you know, room to kind of throw a few elbows and bits and pieces. But, you know, that media day on Thursday was absolutely packed. It really was. It kind of um, almost mirrored some of the big pay-per-view um, turnouts that the, you know, the UFC gets over stateside. So decent turnout. And, uh, and we rock on, you know. That was the first of five um, planned events for the European circuit. They'll be back in the UK uh, with a Glasgow event in the summer, in July. So the, the weather will be nice then. That'd be great. Uh, and and who knows? I hope your speculation is correct, Simon. It'd be great to pop over to either Belfast or Dublin um, at the back end of the year. Or who knows? Maybe they'll even pull an audible and have Michael Bisping over if he's still champion at the end of the year for another title defence. We can only dream. That wouldn't be bad, would it? Just to run you through the European UFC shows we have Currently scheduled between now and the end of the year, May the 28th in Stockholm, Sweden, the Ericsson Global play host to UFC Fight Night, Gustafsson versus Teixeira. That's May the 28th. Then we go up to July the 16th, where the SSE Hydro, spectacular arena, the SSE Hydro up there in Glasgow, will play host to UFC Fight Night. Uh, we have no matchup for that yet, obviously. We're still uh, a fair ways to go before we uh, before we get to that. But that's up there in Glasgow, Scotland, July the 16th. We go to Rotterdam. That was my favourite European trip of last year. That I absolutely loved Rotterdam. And we're going back on September the 2nd uh, to the Ahoy Rotterdam, the same venue for a UFC Fight Night event. And then on October the 21st, uh, our fifth UFC Fight Night in the European region will take place at the Ergo Arena in Gdansk, Poland, uh, October the 21st. So we've got plenty of European stuff coming your way, and that's betting without the stuff that Bellator is bringing uh, over the course of the year. Plus, you can chuck in the stuff that's coming from Bama and Cage Warriors. Cage Warriors have just announced they're going back to London. 
Bama have just announced their next show in Birmingham. So things are really beginning to heat up and it's really encouraging to see that actually if you put all these dates on a bit of paper, it's a pretty busy schedule in and of itself. So it's really good to see the European scene really coming alive and I suspect ACB might be coming back over as well. So we've got we've got plenty of stuff to get our teeth into on this side of the pond. But uh, the next big show will be UFC 210 stateside in Buffalo, New York. Daniel Cormier versus Anthony Rumble Johnson, the rematch. That's where we are with the show, Sandu. Um, we're going to wrap this up and say goodbye, but we, uh, we've, got, we've got a couple of questions to attend to first, yeah? We've got a few questions, but actually, Simon, uh, there's a bit of breaking news, and I want to be cheeky and uh, quickly get a, a segment in on this right now. Let's do it. As we're recording only because we might be the first ones to be able to react to it and I want to be and I want to be cheeky with the old SEO when this actually gets published. Um, so Bellator literally uh, in the last half an hour via the Associated Press have just announced they're going to be heading to Madison Square Garden, New York City with a pay-per-view event on June the 24th headlined by Chael Sonnen versus Vandalay Silva. So that's huge. That's massive for quite a few different reasons. Number one, Chelsea versus Vanderlei Silva. That's been a fight that everyone's kind of sort of been looking forward to for quite some time anyway. It was a fight that the UFC were supposed to put along, um, I think, about four or five years ago now. And uh, they even had an ultimate fighter uh, down in Brazil uh, building up to this uh, potential fight. Obviously, we know the story now. It's been well documented. Uh, they were both uh, cere- unceremoniously kind of uh, departed from the UFC. Um, you know, there was drug tests involved and failed tests and suspensions. And they both managed to find them both both of themselves uh, in Bellator. And I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely surprised, Simon. I have to say I'm, 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 I'm gobsmacked. Madison Square Garden, Simon. Madison Square Garden. And it's going to be on pay-per-view. It's on June 24th, which is just a couple of weeks before International Fight Week for the UFC in Las Vegas. This is only the second time that the uh, that the organization Bellator are going to attempt a pay-per-view event. The last time was uh, Tito Ortiz versus um, was it Rampage, and then there was a fall as a as a fallout on that one. Or did that fight go through? I can't even remember now from the top of my head. Um, but what's your initial reaction to that, Simon? My initial reaction is, wow. Um, the fact that they're doing it at Madison Square Garden is, uh, is, is, is quite the statement as well. Bellator haven't been on pay-per-view for a little while either. So, so this, is, this, is, this is a big, big power move from Scott Coker. They're, and Charles Sonnen is coming back. I think there's going to be a certain amount of cynicism, if I'm honest, towards the main event, given, given the performance that Charles delivered against Tito Ortiz. Um, didn't cover himself in any glory whatsoever in that fight. Uh, and now Bellator are asking people to pay money uh, to watch a main event featuring him again. King um, Mo and Rampage Jackson, sorry. That right. was the fight. It was King Mo, Rampage Jackson, Tito Ortiz pulled out of that fight due to injury. Now that's it's it. all coming back to me. There that's you go. That's it. So, Charles Sonnen versus Van Lee Silva, that's a fight that, that, that we were hoping to see four or five years ago. We're now going to see it at Madison Square Garden. It's great to see Bellator really spreading their wings with this. Um, 
for me, the success of this card is going to be entirely dependent on who else is on that fight card. Um, Ryan Bader has just joined the fold. You'd think sticking him on that card, maybe put him against Phil Davis, um, stick him on that card. Is this the, is this the time to give Michael Venom Page the push? Um, maybe you know that would eventually. Well, that that would mean taking him off the London card um, because of the date. We're talking June twenty fourth, aren't we? So. Yeah. Um, that's a difficult one. That's a difficult one because, you know, he's on a London fight card and he's a London fighter. And uh, I can I can already hear the British fans saying, shut up, Simon, we want him to fight in London. <laughs> but if you're Bellator, yeah. you want him at Madison Square Garden, surely. It's, 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 a, it's a really tricky one. Um, you want to put your best foot forward if you're going to go back on pay-per-view and you're going to show... You're going to showcase your best, your best people. Um, Michael Venom Page on pay per view, I think, will, will certainly help shift a few pay per view buys, even if Charles Sonnen versus Vanderlei Silva doesn't. I think for everybody who's excited to see that fight, there will be people who are really cynical about it. Um, but if you back that up with some real blue chip fights underneath, it kind of it kind of gives you a bit of latitude. So uh, I think how that how that card is uh, built underneath that main event will be absolutely critical to the success of it. Um, I'm excited to hear about it though. And I think, I think it's good that Bellator are continuing to grow. Um, you know, the UFC are the undisputed number one in this sport, but I think having, having a strong, having a strong number two chasing them on the rails, if you like, and trying to offer a viable alternative is good for the industry. It's good for the fans and uh, it just means we hopefully get to see even more good fights. This one's a bit of a throwback fight. I'd certainly be interested in watching it. But as I say, I want to see who's on that undercard because I think that's going to be the the real the real driver of success for that event. There's a, there's a quote that I want to read out to you, Simon, and to our listeners. Uh, this is from Scott Coker um, via the Associated Press. We always said that when we came to New York, we'll bring the biggest and the best fight card we've ever had in the history of this company. We're putting it together and our roster is robust enough that we feel like it's time to get into the pay-per-view business. So here we go. Later on the article, he says, I think Bellator 180, that's the event, Bellator 180, will be the most exciting fight card in MMA this year so far. I mean, who knows what's going to happen before the end of the year? but I think this is going to be the biggest fight card put together by any company so far in the pay-per-view business, so we feel really good about it. So that's uh, that's incredible. That is incredible. So they kicked off with Vandalay Silva versus Charles Sonnen, who are two of the biggest iconic names in the sport, period. Yes, there's a bit of an asterisk on both their names in recent years, um, but I think most casual fans, most M- mainstream fans... When they hear those names, they'll probably turn a blind eye uh, to some of the history there, and they'll just be excited to see the axe murderer take on the American gangster. And you know that they're going to promote the hell out of this fight, that's for sure. It's a massive stage for them as well. And I remember when Chael left uh, the UFC, uh, and they had just subsequently announced they uh, were going to enter New York. It was official, MSG. It was always one of the kind of things that Chell wanted to be a part of as a big MMA event in Madison Square Garden. 
uh, he's going to get that opportunity now. Uh, but like uh, but like you said, Simon, what Bellator need to do now, and they absolutely must do this, if, especially if it's on pay-per-view, they need to go all guns blazing. Um, I think perhaps maybe you bring in Ryan Bader straight in for a title fight against Phil Davis. I mean, why not? That'll be one title fight to put on that card. Um, you've got the likes of... I don't know. I, I think maybe you go with the, the recognizable UFC names you know, maybe use a, a Benson Henderson, you know, and who knows, Simon, maybe if Michael Benham Page, you know, if things go well for him in London in May um, and he comes away unscathed um, and you know, no injuries and he's able to turn around quickly, um, even if at that stage it's too late to put him on the pay-per-view main card, I'm sure the lead in on Spike will have a massive rating. Uh, and viewership for that particular event just given the promotion they're going to put behind it and also a little tidbit uh from the uh, from the story um this is going to be broadcast live in the u.s so there won't be a tape delay from the east coast to the west coast like there normally is for other bellator shows you can't do that uh, on pay-per-view can you no so everything's going to be live coast to coast which is which is um you know quite new for bellator to do that so this is this is getting quite a lot of buzz um, on social media online by every you know everyone in, in the uh, the MMA community. Everyone's got an opinion on this. So I thought it was worthwhile us kind of bringing it up and raising it now. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Instead of waiting an entire week. Yeah. Well, they should. Another fight that has to be on that card surely is Fedor versus Mitrione. Surely they redo that. Wow. Fight. Yeah. Surely, sure, surely they redo that fight on that card. That fight fell through in San Jose. I know they were talking about trying to do the fight again in San Jose, but I think when you've got Madison Square Garden, Fedor Emelianenko at Madison Square Garden is a, is a no-brainer. Um, you know, they've just signed Bader. We've mentioned him. They've just signed Lorenz Larkin uh, and the welterweight division in, the, uh, in Bellator MMA is arguably the strongest division they have. So give Lorenz Larkin a high-profile matchup. It's almost unfortunate timing that this London show is so close. It's just over a month before. And three of the most bankable stars that they have are on that card. You know, Rory MacDonald is about to make his Bellator debut against another one of the one against another one of their well to eight stars, Paul Semtex Daly, who always brings the heat. That that would make for a fantastic New York fight. Michael Venom Page his big box office and deserves to be on the big stage. Both, well, sorry, all three of those guys are going to be competing uh, at Wembley Arena just over a month before that fight. Uh, so it's unlikely we're going to see them on that card, which is a shame because I think the stage is set for all of them, but it's good for us because we're going to get them in England. The other tiny nagging worry in my mind is, is there any possibility that the, that, given what they're looking to do in stacking the deck for Madison Square Garden, could they postpone this London event even and look to put it on later in the year um, in order to free up these stars? Because they've got a growing roster, but it's not an enormous roster. And if you want to put on a show that's as big as Scott Coker's suggesting, then you want all your big stars on it. And uh, great for us, we've got them coming over here. But you've got to think they must have been, you know, they must be wishing they could get them on that MSG card. So, really looking forward to seeing how they put that card together. Um, Dylan Dennis has signed for Bellator as well, hasn't he? Um, mm-hmm. 
Could they give him a run out on the prelims? You know, Can you imagine if Dylan Dennis has got a fight and he's got Conor McGregor in his corner walking him out in Madison Square Garden for a Bellator event? That would, could you imagine? That would just be, yeah, that'd be, that'd be just ridiculous. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a big story. It's a big story. And uh, yeah, I like, I like the fact that it's happening. I don't think that the main event should be the main event, though. I've got to go on record. If you can do Fedor versus Mitrion, you put those two above Chael Sonnen. Uh, I don't think Chael Sonnen deserves to be in the main event of this because because of the performance he put in last time out. Um, I think I think you need your most legitimate talent at the top of that card. Uh, yeah, I know he's a big name. I know he's he's a great promoter and, and of, of the sport and all the rest of it. But if Fedor's available, you put Fedor at the top of that card. No, no questions asked. Without a doubt. Fedor Mitrion should headline that card. The main thing here to take away from a new story like this, Simon, is here we are in 2017. Bellator, like you said, are really kind of making waves now. Um, you're into, like I think, year three of the Scott Coe Carrera. And this is what we want. We want there to be some real competition because competition makes everyone better. Right, makes the fighters better, makes the organisations better. Uh, there's more opportunities. Um, like I said, you know, Bellator um, are aggressively expanding here in Europe, which means there'll be bigger and better fight cards here, uh, more opportunities for us in the media, more events for the fans to pick and choose from in regards to what they want to see. So things are starting to spice up now. Really trying to starting to spice up and, and heat up in uh, in the world of MMA, especially when it comes to top-level competition between two promotions. Um, you know, the UFC gobbled up Pride and Strike Force, and they pretty much had it their own way for a long time. But now, Bellator this year are really starting to make some big statements. Um, and, you know, they continue to sign fighters when they become available from the UFC on the open free agency market. And, um, and, and you know what? It's good for the fighters. If they're getting paid more, they're getting better deals, uh, the more power to them. So it's a story that I'm sure that we'll be monitoring all week long. And and as we don't have actually uh, a UFC event this weekend or next weekend, uh, we were talking about what we'll do for next week's show. And I think it might be looking at two or three of the, the hottest news stories in the MMA cycle. And perhaps by then we'll have more information on this Bellator pay-per-view, which we'll talk about in more detail next week. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bit of breaking news on the Brit Pack. From Mr. Sandy, good stuff, mate. What what have we got in terms of in terms of questions? Let's let's rip through. We're we're, we're about to hit the two hour mark. Would you believe we're only a few minutes short? <laughs> this is this is another monster pod, podcast coming to you from the Brit Pack. Thank you for sticking with us. Well, um, we've got a few questions. To be honest with you, is these are questions that we pretty much answered um, in our kind of review and recap of the London show. So we'll kind of zip through these very very quickly. Um, the first one comes in from the MMA Manor, who says, I saw Mr. Sandu tweet that he doesn't think Manuel will get the winner of DC Rumble. I assume he thinks it will be John Jones, because surely it can't be Gus for a third time. If Jimmy doesn't get the next shot, who's next for him? Everyone else is ranked below. Um, you know, we've kind of already discussed this, Simon. Uh, I like to see the Shogun fight. Unless, unless Glover beats Gustafsson. If Glover beats Gustafsson, then I think Glover might make more sense um, for for for, for Manoa. Um, 
if Gustafsson wins that fight, I think they've already both gone on record saying they're not going to fight each other because things are a little bit different now uh, versus the first time that they fought. The first time they fought, they'd only trained with each other here and there. These days, they're very much full-time training partners. Jimmy's always flying out to Stockholm for long periods of time. Um, so that's just not going to be something that I can see in their future. Um, what do you think, Simon? If, if Shogun doesn't happen and David Hay doesn't happen and Glover Teixeira wins, is that a fight that makes sense? Yeah, it's the only other viable fight, really, if you think about it. I mean, if you're not going to give him a title fight and you're not going to give him John Jones, then I guess the only other option is you give him the loser of the title fight. That's the only other option. So mm-hmm. if Rumble Johnson beats Cormier... Uh, and and then John Jones fights fights Rumble. You could do Manoa versus Cormier. Um, that's the only that's the only other permutation that we haven't really spoken about. He could get the loser of the title fight, depending on how much of a holding pattern they want to put him on. So you know there are you know there are options there. It's I, I want him fighting up. I don't really want him fighting below, and certainly don't want him fighting below Shogun. I think Shogun's one place below him in the rankings right now at five. Um, I, cert- I, don't, I, I don't even know if I want to see him fight Shogun. I'd rather I, I, I want him to fight one of the guys above him. So whether that's whether that's Glover Teixeira, whether that's the loser of the title fight, the winner of the title fight, or John Jones, I think it's going to be one of them. It has to be. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I want to kind of reiterate that. I would like to see him fight one of the guys ahead of him too, Simon. I just think that the way WME are set up and how they're matchmaking, how they're putting events together, I think they're going to lean more towards him and Shogun, just given how they probably have the blueprint set out for the rest of the um, the light heavyweight divisions, top three or four, you know, depending on who wins between DC and Rumble. So that's just my gut instinct there. But you're right, yeah, listen, if, uh, if you know, the loser of DC Rumble would make a lot of sense too. You know, they've just come off a big rub uh, being in a, in a main event pay-per-view title fight. Um, so that would be a, a lot of shine to take away off somebody as well. Graham Hughes uh, tweets in and says, does Jimmy get the next crack of the belt or has he got to win another in between? Regardless of, uh, of who he fights next, Simon, I think it's one more and then a title shot. You, you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's unlikely that he gets the next shot. It would be obviously if he, if it comes, then fantastic. I think he might need to win one more um, because he hasn't won a he hasn't won a fight against a top four opponent yet. That's yeah. that's that's you know it's not a criticism; it's just the truth. Um, yeah, you know he's beaten a guy who's who's a few places below him in the rankings, beat him decisively. Um, but um, yeah, I think. If he beats one of that elite group that I referred to earlier, then I think then he deserves his title. You know, he deserves his title shot. I think he arguably deserves one already, but I think he really needs to cement that. And uh, a win over the, one of the top four will will really do that. So yeah, I think probably one more against one of the top four guys, and then if he wins that, give him give him a shot at the belt. RG tweets in and says, in the immediate aftermath of UFC London, shouldn't we all be talking about Yorkshire's Mark Diakese more? 
We absolutely should, and we absolutely are. Um, and, and I think in the coming days, weeks, and months, um, we'll see him get more exposure. I thought you know, it, was, it was a nice little uh, bit. Um, I think he posed for um, a, a gay magazine, which got um, got headlines. And yeah. you know, it's, it's 2017. It is what it is. Uh, but you know, kudos to him because uh, I think a lot of uh, alpha males in this sport, especially combat sports, perhaps wouldn't go down that route. Um, so I thought that was a, I don't, I don't want to call it a brave decision. That's not the kind of word I'm looking for. Um, but I, I thought, just thought it was really great to see um, that uh, a young uh, alpha male athlete in, from, a, from a combat sports arena uh, would be willing to do something like that. And again, all it's doing for him is breaking barriers. It's uh, tapping into a new market. It's perhaps educating um, a readership or an audience that perhaps, I don't know, may not be into um, this sport. Who knows? Um, but I thought that was great to see. And if we can see more opportunities uh, put out in front of him, uh, because aesthetically he is got this kind of charisma uh, and personality that shines through you know we talk about you know his choice and hair color and hairstyle um which you know it, it makes a, it makes a statement it makes uh, people stand, it makes them you know noticeable and stand out just like uh, the red mohawk did for dan hardy so i love that kind of stuff yeah i mean he's 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 a star in the making isn't he i think the thing with him at the moment is we're still in the discovery phase with Mardia casey what we're seeing of him right now is really, really good. It's really exciting. We haven't seen him come up against adversity yet, and we haven't seen just how good he can be yet. So we're still in that discovery phase, and I think, you know, we're going to hopefully he can stay injury free, uh, and we can keep keep him active over the course of the next twelve to eighteen months, and we get to see him another four, five, six times in the next eighteen months. And I think by the time we get to the end of that period, we'll have a very good idea of just how far that lag can go. Um, I'm excited at the prospect of seeing him really progress because he's just got that he's got that that X factor about him that I think could potentially make him a star. Um, Michael Venom Page has got it, and I think he's got it too. They're not the same; they are different. They are different fighters. But I do think they've both got that X factor that just marks them out as being a potential superstar. But you've got to you've got to earn your stripes. You've got to work your way up, and you've got to get to that level. Uh, MVP is doing that in Bellator, and he's being very successful. And Mark Diacasey so far is doing very similar things in the UFC. Really excited to see where they go. And uh, isn't it great to see people getting excited over a British fighter? working their way up you know we're the brit pack um and uh to see a british fighter generating this much excitement not just over here but the boys over in america out you know our, our, our american and canadian colleagues in the mma media over there they're beginning to get excited about mark diacasey as well and uh that that is, i think he's fantastic to see and uh yeah the sky's the limit for him let's see how far he can take it and the final question comes in from Bailey. Um, he says, after another fantastic performance from Mark Diacasey, who would you match him up with against next? And we spoke about this a little bit earlier on. I love your idea of Sage Northcutt, Simon. Absolutely uh, think that would be fantastic if they uh, went down that route. Um, and now our colleague, uh, Mike Bond, in uh, in his Joe's, oh, not Joe Silver's, Joe Silver's shoes is not here, here anymore, but Sean Shelby's shoes um, article for MMA Junkie um, mentioned uh, Brian T. City Ortega. Um, which I wouldn't mind either. Um, but whoever it is, 
Um, hopefully, it's a, it's a, if it's not a ranked opponent, it's a name opponent. Um, and uh, I think I think the UKs is now ready to step up um, and start to see what he's capable of. Um, and he's a very flashy fighter. So, yeah, that's what I think he should do next. Yeah. If it's in America, Sage Northcutt. If it's in Europe, David Tamer. They're the two. Either one yeah. of those, you'll make me a happy man. And that's it. That's all the questions for this week, Simon. Uh, again, just to let everybody know, if you want to get your questions in throughout the week. And actually, if you're listening, we'd really love um, to have you really um, inundate us with as many questions as you can throughout the next seven days. So whenever you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on a Tuesday morning, a Tuesday afternoon, a Tuesday evening, take a second, think about something that's coming to mind. What's kind of really cause you to think about things in the MMA circle and the MMA bubble. And uh, and hit me and Simon um, with a question or two, uh, because I think we're going to need it next week, because there's no UFC event on this weekend or next weekend. So perhaps we can open up the platform next weekend and perhaps just do an, um, a lengthier Q&A segment. Um, so get your questions in. The handle uh, to include, regardless of whether you're including me or Simon, is at the Britpack MMA. That's the handle you have to include if you want to get your question included into the show. I'll then find it, give give it a like so you know that it'll get mentioned in the show. And uh, and that's it. Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt. Great stuff. That's one for the uh, the American listeners to try and work out what the hell you just said. But yeah, <laughs> that is episode number 32 of the Brit Pack, a bumper edition of the Brit Pack this week. Thank you for sticking with us. For the past two hours and five minutes, we will we will leave you to the rest of your week. Uh, please do hit us up with questions, as Sandu said. Tweet us at the Britpack MMA. You can check out our website where you'll find all the details about the show. That is thebritpackmma.com. You can subscribe via YouTube's, uh, YouTube's, iTunes, Stitcher. <laughs> it's late. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud and Acast and uh, you can obviously check us out on social media at Sandu MMA and at Simon Head that was the Brit Pack episode number 32 thank you so much for listening enjoy whatever you've got planned for the next week I don't think we've got too much on in the way of uh, major MMA events so uh, feel free to tweet us and let us know what you're going to do with your gap weekend I'm going to be watching MotoGP We will not be doing a podcast on that. We will speak to you in a week's time. Until then, speak soon.